Welcome to the new TV Gold podcast from Media Week's Andrew Mercado and James Manning, a podcast for people who love great television. This week on TV Gold, in limbo from the ABC, High Desert on Apple TV Plus, also on Apple TV Plus Silo. Going to talk about a few things that are also coming along, but Andrew Mercado, my co-host, we're going to start with, do you pronounce it Bupkis? I think so, yeah, and Bupkis, which is available on Foxtel and Binge, is my surprise package of the year. (laughs) I had no idea how much fun it was going to be. This is the dramatisation of Pete Davidson's life. He's the comedian from Saturday Night Live. I think he dated a Kardashian. I've always known him from the tabloids, but never really paid much attention to him. Always thought he was a bit of a dick. But then he made this show and, you know, it's very much in the vein of Larry David's Curb Your Enthusiasm, you know, heightened comedy of his life, maybe a bit of a mockumentary. I started watching it and then it was immediately blown away by the cast. Talk about star-studded. And then I found myself really starting to like him. And that second episode, which uh, flashes back to him as a little boy where he goes to a family wedding, and then you actually see over the closing credits photos from that wedding where you realise that Although he's, you know, obviously going for the laughs in the TV show, this stuff all really happened. He's just really won me over, James, and I've just binged the whole thing. I think it's incredibly honest, very funny, and wow, I am a Pete Davidson fan because of Bupkis now. Eight episodes that are available on Foxtel and Binge, um, co-produced by Lorne Michaels, um, who seems to have a good, you know, Pete Davidson from what you read is is can be troublesome talent, you know. He's, yeah. He can be a bit erratic. Uh, yeah. But for people who like him, he's very good. But but he always turns up for Saturday Night Live and, and Lorne Michaels seems to have a great relationship with him and they've been able to turn this into a TV series. Now, you, we, there are a few intentional puns you dropped about the opening scene when you describe, you know, it starts with a bang, you know. and <laughs> That was accidental. I didn't realise I was making the puns there. But, you know, all, all, all that stuff that he's erratic for, which, you know, is uh, drugs, you know, he has a colourful history with drugs. And, I mean, he doesn't shy away from all of that. He falls off the wagon in this show. He's, he's sent up to Canada uh, to appear in this movie. He gets on uh, the drugs it's christmas he's missing his family um the late the last episode he's in rehab and it's a really sobering look at it so he has not shied away from those uncomfortable moments in his life in fact he's he seems to have found storytelling gold in some of those darker moments in his life yeah the um look i actually wrote down in my notes how I might describe the opening scene, but I, I can't bring myself to say it <laughs> on the podcast. So if you, we'll leave it for people. We won't have it as a spoiler, but it's yeah. the very first thing you see. And it's, you know, people have called it a sort of WTF opening scene. Yeah. Like one of the most memorable things you'll ever see at the start of a, of a TV season. And it certainly gets your attention. Um, you mentioned the cast. Yeah, Edie Falco's his mum. Yep. 
She's amazing. Um, Joe Pesci is his, I think, grandfather. Grandfather, yeah. I, I thought it was his father-in-law initially, but it's his it's his grandfather. Yeah. Uh, Bobby Carnavale's great as an uncle. Yeah. And um, Brad Garrett's also in it. Um, Ray Romano turns up. And Steve Buscemi. Um, Steve Buscemi plays a priest. I mean, a lot of these people are only in one episode. Yeah. But there's so many. You get you, There's one episode with Al Gore and Jon Stewart playing themselves. And Jon Stewart's really funny. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's like all of these people rush to support him on this show. So clearly, although he has a colourful past, he clearly has some respect in the industry to have commanded a cast like this for Bupkis. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that second episode. After that first, look, you you find out about his life growing up in Staten Island. Yeah. Um, He lost his dad at an early age. He was a firefighter who was – who attended 9-11. Yeah, incredible. Um, yeah. Um, and so you get a lot of that. But I was sort of, my enthusiasm was sort of uh, waning a little bit. And I thought, gee, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I can last eight episodes of this. But then that second episode, yeah. there's a lot more layers to his life are revealed. Yeah, totally. It becomes a bit more sort of autobiographical. Yeah, it starts to make some sort of sense. It's not just sense. It's not all just laughs. Yes. Um, you get to understand about what life was like, the, the wider family. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I did enjoy it a lot more. Will I last eight episodes like you? I'm not certain, though. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you, James. The the emotional punch of that second episode really draws you in. Um, and, you know, the madness of the first episode, that is a theme. You know, you do get uh, other episodes where he's hanging out with his, his homies and it's all getting a little bit out of control. But, you know, so, so the performances keep drawing you back in. Joe Pesci is the dad. And, you know, some of the moments he had has with his mother, played by Edie Falco, you know, some of, and this relationship he has with a, a woman that doesn't want to be part of this mad world at all. You know, there's enough threads there to keep it going. And, yeah, it it literally is the most surprising delight of the year for me so far. I had no idea that it would be this good. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I remember you mentioned it in passing a few weeks ago, and we never really got back to it till today. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's really a surprise. And, look, if you do nothing else, just watch the start and you'll have a bit of a <laughs> Bit of a laugh, and how how Edie Felker reacts to what happens. It's just totally, you know, yeah, yeah, wonderful. Okay, Buckus, uh, you can get that on Foxtel or on Binge. Look, we'll go to something not completely different. This one's on the ABC. It's called In Limbo, six episodes. Is it? But what is it? Is it a comedy? Is it a drama? I was, I'm, I'm a bit confused. Yeah, I think uh, in Limbo uh, there's a really good, important message behind it, but I think they're struggling a little bit for me after the first three episodes to understand the tone of it, and I think you've nailed it on the head. Is it a comedy or is it a drama? I mean, it's basically this is a show about uh, suicide 
And that's a really, really tough topic. And it's a really hard way to start a TV show, which is being promoted as a comedy. And I mean, I think one of the things about it for me is that, you know, it's it's got this really heavy opening scene that I think sometimes is made a bit light of in it. It, it feels to me like the character's aren't really reacting to the tragedy of the suicide because the premise of the show is it's it, it's got to mostly be this comedy to look at this difficult subject through laughs, uh, you know, and, and I just think they're kind of struggling to navigate that, uh, the pressure of that. Yeah, look, the, the, the basically two best mates, Ryan Corr and Bob, played by Ryan Corr and played by Bob Morley, um, one of them passes away and it's how the other one deals with the grief. Yeah. When the best mate dies. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's just, I don't know, there's a lot of scenes that are sort of almost played for laughs <laughs> that certainly aren't funny. Yeah. You know, like when the body's discovered initially, it's almost a comedic scene with a yeah. a tragic sort of outcome. Um, and I just found that really a bit disturbing. Um, I, I just didn't know how to react a lot of the times. I mean, you know, maybe that's part of the intention to get us to question, you know, how we deal with this sort of stuff. But it, it wasn't, it didn't make for pleasant viewing, I didn't think. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And also the fact that Ryan Core and Bob Morley are basically playing uh, characters that are tradies. You know, I think this is very much going into the Australian male sensibility of the way that men in particular don't open up about their feelings. And we can see that from the first episode. There's a clue there in that first episode where, you know, he says, oh, I've been to the doctor and his mate goes, Oh, is everything okay? And he goes, yeah, 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 everything's fine. And we sort of know that clearly there was a lot more going on and, and this, this man didn't have the capacity to open up to his friend about it. And part of the ongoing storyline for this show is can these characters get some more insight into why this young man who seemingly had this perfect life um, has killed himself? Um, so, you know, it comes with such good intentions and, you know, it's almost there. Um, the third episode that I watched last night, which was the funeral, I thought was getting a lot closer to what the show needs to be. I just think it has a little bit of a bumpy opening, but I think it really is going to help that I view are putting in limbo up there. You can binge all the episodes in one hit. I think that's really going to work for this show. This isn't a show that you, you need to wait a week to see every episode. I think you need to watch this and kind of stick with it um, and see where it's going. Yeah, look, the um, it's not a huge cast. I mentioned Ryan Corey. He, he was in House of the Dragon recently, did great work in The Secret She Keeps um, quite recently. Um, Bob Morley, I think, was in Neighbours for quite a while. Yeah, and of and course, in Love Me, he's you know he's one of the stars. Yeah, opposite well, Bojana Novakovic in Love Me, and he's so great in that. Yeah, he did seven years on the CW's The One Hundred or the. Yeah, 100. yeah, he's got an international profile. Yeah, and the sort of the behind the scenes talent's pretty good. Um, created by Lucas Taylor, who's you know we loved his work as a writer on Black Snow. 
Yep. Um, from Bunya Productions, of course, the company behind the Mystery Road franchise, and we we're both on board with that big time. And it was directed by Trent O'Donnell from one of our favourites. Yeah, no activity, of course. He did a few yep. episodes of Colin from Accounts, and I didn't realise he also directed an episode of Hacks, the uh, Gene Smart comedy. Yeah, I saw that the season two finale, and of course, we love Trent O'Donnell in uh, the Moody's. He was, uh, you know, one of the brother-in-laws and very funny in that, you know. But, yeah, he seems to spend uh, a bit more time behind the scenes now directing. Sure, yeah. Okay, so that's In Limbo. Six episodes uh, coming to the ABC. And as Andrew said, all episodes, you can um, binge them when it launches on iView. Apple TV Plus had a couple of interesting things this month. The um, yeah. as we said before, streaming platforms seem to go in cycles. They either had a bunch of stuff or nothing for a little while. And it's, you know, this month is is pretty strong for Apple TV Plus. The first one was High Desert, um, eight episodes, um, bringing Patricia Arquette back to the screen. Yeah, and the Sydney Morning Herald gave this a five out of five review. Uh, and, you know, I was reading Patricia Arquette and Matt Dillon, the cast, and yep. thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be fantastic. And I kind of cleared the schedule and <laughs> sat down. And it, the show had this most incredible opening, the Thanksgiving in this incredible Palm Springs mansion with Patricia Arquette walking around the house, Matt Dillon on the grill, uh, you know, uh, Bernadette Peters as her mother in the kitchen. And I was just looking at it like it was almost like architectural porn, this incredible Palm Springs house and what looked like this. And then all of a sudden, the cops arrive and suddenly they're running around the house with bags of drugs trying to shove them down garbage disposals and all that. And suddenly we jump 10 years into the future. Matt Dillon's in jail. It's like he's taken the fall for it all. And we kind of, I don't think we're going to see a lot of him in this series. And Patricia Arquette is just, her character is completely off the rails, you know, uh, a former drug addict and now working in this kind of wild west frontier town. And she kind of finds herself, and it's interesting that there's a bit of a parallel here to Poker Face, the show that everyone's watching on Stan, where you see this other kind of uh, unconventional woman who decides to become a private investigator, as played by Natasha Leone. And that show starts in Las Vegas, and then it continues all around America. Similarly, in High Desert, Patricia Arquette decides that she's going to hook up with Brad Garrett, who's also, you know, everybody loves Raymond Brad Garrett, who's also in Bupkis, so he's doing a lot of work at the moment. But in High Desert, Patricia Arquette sort of latches on to him and says, oh, I want to become a private investigator with you. But look, for me, this show just didn't have the appeal to me of Bupkis. I found the second episode where her character falls off the rails and goes on a bit of a bender. I actually found it really disturbing, the, the, the chaos of that sort of drug addiction. And again, this is the point of the show, High Desert, um, and it's, you know, it's this fine line you walk between showing the reality of, of something real uh, but, but, but making it so unpleasant that you kind of think as a viewer, I actually don't think I want to watch this. Yeah, look, it was a fun two-thirds of the first episode, 
Yeah. Then I realised, yeah, that's enough for me. I, I, I don't really. I mean, even if she becomes a real private eye cracking cases, I don't care, which I doubt. Um, but I just, I, I just couldn't stay with it. It was, um, it, it was sort of interesting. It was good seeing Matt Dillon again. Yeah, yeah, always. Uh, uh, but yeah, look, and what about? I mean, if but Matt Dillon's wasted in this, right? Totally. But it's almost Academy Award performance after you see what they make Rupert Friend do. <laughs> Guru Bob. Yeah. Come on. Well, yeah. talk about wasting a great actor. I know. And I still don't get what 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 he was. I just don't understand his character. He turns up very briefly in a few scenes. Yeah. Just didn't get it at all. It 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 starts off so well, but then it starts zigzagging in all these directions. It's like, is this a show about addiction? Oh no, this is she's gonna be a PI. Oh no, hang on. Now this is going on. Now there's this family drama with her brother and sister coming. It's just all of these multiple strands that start happening and you start going. And then you say the guru Bob side plot, which one of her friends in the Western Park. It's like, what the hell is happening? Yeah, it's really, I'm with you. It really started to lose me after what was a strong opening. Yeah, and when it started getting into all the drugs, I just thought, oh, here we go again, you know. I think it's it's a plot device that people turn to too easily. I don't know, but maybe some people are interested in all that stuff, but I just think, oh, no, I just I just don't need to see all that again. It's It's turning up too often in too many shows. Yeah. Directed by Ben Stiller, um, I did notice that High Desert, uh, the creatives behind it, it's very autobiographical. It's uh, like Pete Davidson's show, Bubkus, which treads similar territory, but has all this other interesting stuff going around it so it doesn't become the focus. Um, High Desert is based uh, on the creator's real-life sister who had uh, massive problems with addiction for all of her life. So she's writing from a place of experience, but I guess it's the chaos Mm -hmm. of that lifestyle which uh, can become really complicated to portray on the screen because at a certain point, you know, I just started going, oh, Lord, I just don't think I can do this for six episodes, eight episodes or for however long. And, and I mean, I love Patricia Arquette. I love any Arquette. I love David Arquette. Uh, I like Rox- Roseanne Arquette. I loved Alexis Arquette. Um, but, yeah, Patricia Arquette may not even be enough to save me on on High Desert. Yeah, I mean, it's a scary character. She plays Peggy, and yeah, she's always on the edge. She tumbles over the edge. There's constant financial problems. She seems to exist on virtually no money. Yeah. Um, ac- accidentally sells some drugs in a car park to, to go and play bingo. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you love the bingo scene. But oh, God, the, the, the bingo scene was the one that was making me go, I don't think I can watch this anymore. <laughs> that just really got out of control. She's popping pills oh. in the bingo hoil and then using the, the marker, but pu- putting it on the woman's face next to her. It was so messy. It was like, oh, Lord, what is happening? Um, and just quickly on Matt Dillon, am I being too harsh? I mean, look, he... The 80s, right? He started the 80s with The Outsiders and Rumblefish. Yeah. He ended the 80s with Drugstore Cowboy. One of the greatest movies. But since then, am, am I am I wrong in saying what, what's he really delivered? I mean, he's been in a lot of dodgy movies where he yeah. was easily the best thing. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. But you hardly sit down and go, oh, let's have a night with um, some great Matt Dillon movies, you know? No, exactly. And, I mean, if I see Matt Dillon in the cast for something, I immediately sit up and take notice. I mean, he did that TV show Wayward Pines, right. which was that kind of mystery show. And I watched Wayward Pines uh, because Matt Dillon was in it. I mean, that's how much I love him. But, yeah, he has just made some really strange choices in his career and you're right to get to go from drugstore cowboy and uh which is such an incredible film and yeah you're right it just it's it's very odd yeah yeah i mean and and uh, it's not all his fault obviously i mean people maybe haven't offered him the right projects you know there's yeah you can think of a lot of movies he would have been excellent in so you know people should have tracked him down. But you look at him in this and you think, well, he's still got things to offer. So hopefully yep. uh, people might be uh, – something will go off and go, oh, look, yeah, Matt Dillon's still around. Let's put him in something good. But that was one of the things I was most disappointed with High Desert because I was watching it to see Matt Dillon and he's in yeah. jail and it's sort <laughs> of like, oh, as is, he's not going to really be a part of this at all. She kind of has one scene with him when he's in jail and it's like, oh, I don't think he's going to be in the show very much at all. That was really disappointing for me. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, High Desert, Apple TV Plus, uh, going to be eight episodes, but as Apple TV does with its series, it just drops them one week at a time. There there might be two or three to start with, but then, yeah. there'll be, then there'll be one a week. That's also how you're going to have to watch Silo, which yeah. is on Apple TV Plus. Look, this is the snapshot of the community of around 10,000 people that are living underground to escape a world that's gone a bit crazy and toxic on the outside. So they sort of set up a community deep underground. Well, I don't know if it's that deep because there's a few windows where they can watch actually what's going on on the outside. Yeah. Um, look, I, I enjoyed this more than I thought I would. Okay. I mean, this is kind of very, very kind of big budget sci-fi, isn't it? I mean, you know, this this very much, this is kind of the, I mean, they call it a bit dystopian. It's the end of the world. All these people are living inside this silo and told if you go outside, you'll die. Uh, and, in fact, that is a feature of the first episode, which is kind of heavily done with with flashbacks, isn't it? And sort of it starts is. with the 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 sheriff, the guy in charge of, uh, you know, crime investigation in the silo, uh, and he does something, and then we go into this huge flashback uh, to see some stuff involving his wife. But, I mean, there's a great cast in this, right, James? I mean, you've got um, Tim Robbins, who's almost a supporting character. Um, he's kind of walking in and out and I and you know Geraldine James the the British actress uh you know she's the mayor of the the, yep. the the silo I mean there's a lot of great acting names in this but you know some of them are uh, only in it for little bits it's certainly in the first episode I watched sure yeah look I the the two leads in that first episode it's a sort of Rashida Jones plays the tech worker Allison yeah, um, who very much wants to have a baby, but the there's there's a sort of a state body you don't learn much about in that first episode anyway, which controls the sort of the laws for the people who live underground. Yeah, um, and one of them is they 
um, manage the reproduction permission, right? So you can't yeah. have a baby unless they say you can. So she finally gets the all clear to have a baby, and she's married to um, Sheriff. David O'Yellowo. David O'Yellowo. Correct. Or some people just say David O. I think it's uh, you're allowed to do that. Um, and but he's he's keeping the law. So there are there's sort of friction between them. She's yeah. she, she wants freedom. She doesn't like the big state. But he, on the other hand, he's he's upholding the laws. But they love each other. They're in a relationship and they're trying to have a baby. She doesn't find out. I think can we, as a spoiler, to say she finds out that well they didn't really want her to have a child. Correct. Like them saying she could have one. Okay, and sort of she flips out a bit towards the end of that first episode because of that, and the story evolves from there. Yeah, you mentioned Tim Robbins. Yeah, we hardly see him at all in that first episode. Ian Glenn's also in it. I don't think we see him at all in that first episode. He turns up in later episodes. And um, Rebecca Ferguson has actually been marketed as the lead, I think. Yeah, and yet she only is sort of cited right at the end of that first episode. It's almost like a teaser of her, you know, for episode one. Yeah, so so you've really, and I haven't got around to episode two yet, so I'm, I'm thinking it'll take on, there's teasing about we'll get, presumably you get to see what it's like out in the world that's presumably yeah gone wrong you know so yeah so that's the tease and um so that's i'll definitely tune in for that whether i'll keep going i'm not sure look i'm i'm think of it it's like almost a companion piece to last of us if you like in a way yeah although very different shows i mean last of us was able to travel you know they're they're on the road they're on the move so you could get a different story a different character week by week whereas the silo they're all trapped in this kind of claustrophobic space so the story sort of have to happen within this one world unless they get outside and based on that first episode i'm I'm not quite sure how far you're going to go if you actually Get outside. Yeah, yeah, no. Presumably, it's very hard uh, to, to to get to get away. That's yeah. why everybody's happy to live by these pretty stringent rules underground because yeah. at least they've got a life. They're not going to be in a life-threatening situation, which seems to be happening outside. Um, yeah, The Last of Us was based on a video game, though this series is based on a, a sort of science fiction post-apocalyptic novels yeah. by New Howie, I think. Because is that the wall? I think it is, is the name of the series. But I, yeah, I don't he's, know. yeah, he's he, he's written a few. I think it started with Wall, and then he's um kind of kept going with a few of those. I think they've done a graphic novel at one stage too. Yeah, it just reminded me of a, a debate I heard a few weeks ago. They they call this post-apocalyptic, but <laughs> it, some people say you can't have post-apocalyptic, right? Because Apocalyptic means sort of end of the world. True. If it's post-apocalyptic, it's not the end. So <laughs> that is so true. Wow. There you go. You we can make a TV show about that. <laughs> <laughs> just just there's something that sort of piqued my interest the other week. It's post almost apocalyptic, isn't it? Correct. Because there's always a a, a a a a group of survivors that are desperately clinging on and try want to repopulate the earth. Yeah, of course, the scary thing about all these shows is that they're potentially not very far away from 
where we are in the world at the moment, you know, with the the climate and all that. You think yeah. is this used to be science fiction? It's it's getting a little freaky when you see things that could be happening within our lifetime. Well, you know, I was watching uh, Tim Winton's series on the ABC this week, Ningaloo, you know, in the, the first episode he goes diving there on the reef with whale sharks. It's one of the, you know, they're the biggest, one of the biggest creatures in the world. And he talks about how in the last 20 years they've gone from, uh, I think it was critical to endangered. You know, their population has dropped by 50% in the last 20 years. And you just hear one little fact like that about this incredible animal. And I was in Hawaii once in a, uh, on a boat, uh, going for a tour and this, that we saw this uh, other pod boat and went out there and they said, there's a whale shark. There's a whale shark here. And the whale shark was circling these boats. And the, the guy in the boat said to me, do you want to, who wants to jump in the water and have a look at this? And nobody moved. And I was sitting closest to him and he just looked at me and he said, I'm telling you, man, I'll be doing this for 10 years and I've only ever seen this once before. Just jump in the water now and I'll throw down some goggles. So I just dove straight into the water, got these goggles on, went under the water and saw this giant whale shark bruise, you know, a couple of hundred feet from me. I looked it right in the eye and then I turned and watched it go off into the ocean. And to then hear, on Ningaloo on ABC that, you know, th they may well be endangered creatures. It's really disturbing to me. Yeah. Okay, good one. All right, look, a couple of things to end on. We'll, we'll quickly um, have a chat about Air, the um, movie about how Nike managed to sign um, Michael Jordan when he was a sort of an up-and-coming basketballer almost bet the whole the company's whole marketing budget on getting this one player it was made by uh, Amazon Prime it went to went into cinemas initially but as we mentioned a few weeks ago it was it was um it's turned up pretty quickly on prime video has it ever? Yeah. It's, I mean, it was made by Amazon Studios, you're right. Um, and it got some incredible reviews. I mean, people were comparing it to uh, Jerry Maguire. Um, but when you said, you know, let's watch it, I was like, sports drama. I don't want to watch shows about sports. It's my least favourite thing. But I found it interesting in that it wasn't just about sports it was actually about marketing and you know giant brands you know this battle between nike and converse and adidas that was the stuff i found the most interesting in it um in terms of who was going to get that uh footwear market but look i, I thought the film was okay i didn't think the film was fantastic though i, I don't quite understand i mean the performances were great matt damon and Ben Affleck was certainly uh, not playing characters that they normally play, um, but yeah, I thought I thought it was okay, but I wouldn't rave about it and give it ten out of ten. Yeah, no, I'm with you. It was just it was a bit of a an interesting filler to um, put on on Saturday night, and it's and it's nice thinking, oh look, here's a big cinema release. I can get, let's quickly come to um, to the streaming service and I can watch it there. Yeah. It got a publicity, a lot of publicity, I guess, because it was Matt Damon and Ben Affleck together again. Yes, yes. On screen. Look, yeah. Matt Damon, I thought, was great as the sort of the Nike marketing executive tasked with, you know, who should we spend the, the marketing budget on? 
Ben Affleck, I just didn't find him convincing as Phil Knight, the sort of boss of Nike. I just didn't do it for me. Yeah, it was a strange performance. He was directing the film as well. Yeah. Like, and, and, yeah, I thought that his performance was – I thought it was uh, an interesting take for him because he doesn't play that sort of character. Um, but, yeah, look, Matt Damon's always great. I love him. You know, just, you know, I'll never forget Matt Damon, What you know, when he came to Australia to promote one of those born Identity movies. Yeah. And he – wandered into the interview just by himself without a publicist. Normally those things, you know, there's this team of people walking them from one hotel room to the other. And he just walked in by himself. And after it was over, I like walked into the room and all the publicists were sitting in this room on their phone. And I'm like, why isn't anybody with Matt Damon? And they're like, oh, we don't need to be with him. He's a dream. He's just so professional and so easy. And we just know that he's going to go to the room. And he says, you know, you guys stay in the room and do your work. I'll do this. Like, that's how much of a good guy Matt Damon is. Yeah. Um, Jason Bateman's pretty good as another Nike Nike executive. Yes, he Um, was good. He doesn't have a lot to do, but in the scenes, he, he pulls it off pretty well. And Viola Davis, I think, is Michael's mum was, yes. um, was really good. That was, that was some lovely work there. The, the whole movie, though, was really strange because although you get to see Michael Jordan in some clips briefly, sort of archival stuff, there was a, a character. He turned up in some scenes and you just see the back of his head. And- back of his head, you never saw an actor playing Michael Jordan as a young man, right? Well, I just think they should have cut him out completely, right? Yeah. You just didn't need that. It was just really odd Yeah, have someone sitting there pretending to be Michael Jordan just so he'd be in the room. You, you just didn't need it. He could have always been out of frame and they could have been referring to him. I think people understand that. Michael Jordan obviously is not going to be in the movie and it would be weird to have someone playing Michael Jordan. Yeah. So just, just take him out completely. I yeah. think it would have been a lot better movie for that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Anything you want to leave us with before we wrap up this week? I just want to point out I'm very excited about watching Love to Love You, Donna Summer, which premieres on Fox Docos and presumably will be on Binge as of this Sunday. Um, The Queen of Disco, uh, that's all you need to know about Donna Summer. And I've been fascinated to learn about the album she made uh, with Stock Aitken and Waterman through uh, that great podcast that uh, Matt Denby and Gavin Scott are doing. For some reason, I was – you know, I, I lived out of Australia for five years and there's a whole bunch of pop culture stuff I missed by living in Canada. And Donna Summer's Stock Aitken Waterman album in 1989 is one of them. I, and I've downloaded it now and I listen to it all the time. There isn't a dud track on it. So I don't know how much coverage that'll get in this documentary, which obviously will focus more on her 70s work, working with Giorgio Moroder and, and all of that stuff. But yeah, can't wait to see that. And James, you might be interested to know too that one of your favourite Favorite shows from Stan, yes. Normal People, is getting a run on free-to-air TV. It's going to begin on SBS on Thursday, May 25th, and I know you love that show. Yeah, I do very much, very much. So I liked it a lot. Look, I'll just leave you with one thing. Um, Saran Jones is coming back to TV soon, oh. a new series. Look, there's only three episodes. The show's called Maryland. She plays uh, one of three sisters, I think, uh, Eve Best is is also in the show. Stockard Channing is in the show. And wow. It's set on the Isle of Man. So um, I'll be looking at I think it's on ITV and 
the UK. Not sure if anybody's picked it up for, for streaming or broadcast TV in Australia yet, but we'll uh, keep an eye on that. Andrew, do you have a program of the week? Yeah, it's Buckus for me, the, the, the surprise package of the year so far. I had no idea. I wasn't even going to watch it and I just was bored and I thought, I'll just check this out and just all of a sudden I'd, I'd watched six episodes in a row. It was a three-way tie for me with In Limbo, Silo and Bupkis. Yeah. I mean, and I had, I had problems with them all and nobody can have a three-way tie, right? I mean, no. pick one. How hard could it be, right? <laughs> so I'm going for In Limbo. Nice. Because of the creative people behind it, Lucas Taylor, Bunya Productions, Trent O'Donnell. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of good work being done there and it's a challenging, you know, challenging subject they're trying to grapple with so and so i agree with you i will finish watching it and yeah. i will report back on that and and that you've reminded me now that something that we started watching a few weeks back that both of us were like what, what, is this just seriously going anywhere which was auntie donna's cafe oh, yes. and i want to report back that i did stick with it because i watched the weekly with charlie pickering and and i've kept the tv on and i have continued to laugh out loud almost every week at arnie donna's cafe and had setting it in that little coffee shop wasn't restrictive at all because those guys are so batshit crazy <laughs> they you know they had an episode where they brought in um cleaver green as played by richard roxborough and they set up a, a courtroom in the coffee shop i mean they're, they're, it's mad and yeah so well done to arnie donna's cafe and in limbo will fill that abc slot at 9 p.m on a wednesday night so yeah i will watch it to the end and report back if uh, i think it gets there by episode six Okay, look, uh, this has been the TV Gold Podcast. Andrew Mercado and James Manning, you can get us, send us your thoughts, what you like, what you don't like. Send an email to comments at tvgold.au. Andrew, what are you writing about in your Media Week column? Oh, look, I think I might dip into the waters of reality TV. When it succeeds... You know, we get a format going for years and years, but when it doesn't work and networks seem so desperate to turn anything into a reality TV show, it just becomes a bit of a joke, right? Yeah, and there's a bit of a spectacular bomb I think you might be referring to. but I believe so, yeah. We won't spoil that. Uh, look for Andrew's column at mediaweek.com.au or in the Media Week Morning Report. Andrew, we'll catch up with you next week. Thanks, James. Have a great week. 